Have you ever heard the story of the tortoise and the rabbit? A well-known fable that talks about the tortoise who was the fastest animal in the forest. He loved to brag about how fast he was, and every time he would talk about how fast he was, he would challenge the other animals to a race. And one day, he was talking to the tortoise about how fast he was, and he was bragging, and he challenged the tortoise to a race. And to his surprise, the tortoise accepted his challenge. And, of course, the rabbit just laughed and laughed because he knew that there was no ways that it would be a problem for him to beat the tortoise by far. They then set up the race, and the rabbit really wanted to show how great he was and how fast he was and be the best animal in the forest. So he invited all the other, the other animals to come and watch this race. So the tortoise and the rabbit are at the start line, and uh, the bear says, ready, set, go, and off they go. The rabbit is out of sight. The tortoise is still trying to get away from the finish line. But what happens is that the rabbit became so confident in his ability that halfway through the race, he realized that he could actually take a nap while waiting for the tortoise to get anywhere near him. And he thought this was a grand idea because he could brag later on about not only winning the race, but having a nap at the same time. So he finds this sunny spot on the soft grass and he lays down to have a nap and um, gets really comfortable and falls asleep. In the meantime, the tortoise, he keeps going, he's plodding along, he passes halfway, he notices the rabbit napping, and he just keeps on going. As the tortoise nears the finish line, the animals hear um, an alarm coming from the halfway mark as the rabbit wakes up and realizes that he had fallen asleep much longer than he anticipated. And he guns for it, but the tortoise gets to the finish line before the rabbit, and he wins the race. Now, this is a really well-known fable, and um, we've all heard it before. This is a story that you hear many times over. Um, but we generally, when we hear stories that we've heard many times before, what happens is we tend to phase the story out of our minds. We tend not to take as much notice to a story that we've heard over and over again. When our girls were really young, Jason and I would read them bedtime stories, and often, depending on which, which story was really popular at the time, we would have to read the same story over and over again. It would sometimes feel like we've read the same story a hundred times. And what would happen is you would sit reading the story, and because it was a story that you've heard so many times, you would phase it out. Your mind would start wandering off and thinking about other things. You wouldn't be taking note of every aspect of the story. And this is what often happens to us when we read Bible stories. Too often, when we come to the stories of the Bible that we've heard before, we think we know the story and we think we know what it's all about. And so we miss what the story is really trying to teach us. Sometimes good stories, like the fable I just shared, has a really good point that, we, that it's trying to teach us. But because we phase out, we miss out on hearing the point of the story. One of those Bible stories that we've heard over and over again from childhood um, all the way through kids' church is the story of Jonah and the whale. 
We all know it. I know myself. I taught the story um, so many times in all of my years at Kids Church. It's a story that we teach kids from the youngest age, from two years old. It's a story well-known and well-taught over and over again. But what happens is, is that very often people think that the story of Jonah and the whale is a made-up story or a parable. But the thing is, if it's hard to believe that God sent a fish to keep Jonah safe for three days, how much more difficult must it be to believe that God spoke the world into being? That God created man from the dust of the earth? That God sent his son as a baby? And then when Jesus died, that three days later he rose from the dead? Those are much more um, almost impossible situations to believe or imagine. But we can believe everything that the Bible teaches us. Our Christian foundation is built on these facts. And God is a God of the impossible, and we can believe what the Bible teaches us. And so we need to ask ourselves, is there a God and does he work in the world? And so over the next four weeks, we're going to help you discover what it means to be on mission for God. The vision of this church is not just something for Jason and I to, to do or to work out. It's for all of us together to live out together as the church. As the church, we need to be on mission for God. Our vision statement says that we are here to reach people with a life-giving message of Jesus Christ. We, we, the body of Christ, the church. And then it goes on to say, join us as we know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. So again, it talks about us and we. We need to be on a mission for God. And so what does it look like to be personally engaged in God's mission? And that's a question I'm going to answer near the end of my message, but that's an important question to ask. What does it look like to be personally engaged in God's mission? And so we're going to dive into the book of Jonah, pun intended. Yes, there is a whole book dedicated to this one prophet Jonah. It's a short little book in between two books called Obadiah and Micah in the Old Testament. It's so short that it's best for you to look at the contents page to find it because as you flick through the Bible, you could easily miss it. But I think that there's a lot of value in the fact that God wanted a whole book on this story of Jonah. And so that's what we're going to focus on over the next four weeks. And um, Jonah was a prophet in the time of King Jeroboam II. And this king um, was king of Israel about 750 years before Christ. Jonah is also mentioned in 2 Kings 14 verse 25, where it says, Jeroboam II recovered the territories of Israel between Lebo Hamath and the Dead Sea, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had promised through Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. And so today, we are going to particularly focus and look at Jonah chapter 1. And so I want to read to you the very first verse, verse 1. 
the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. So firstly, God spoke to Jonah and he gave him an instruction. And secondly, Nineveh, the city that Jonah was instructed to go to, was the most important and wicked city of Assyria. Another prophet, Nahum, actually gives us a um, rundown or insight into what Nineveh was like. He says that Nineveh was a, a city that had evil plots against God. They exploited the helpless. Um, they were severe and brutal in, in war. They, they uh, practiced idolatry, uh, prostitution, witchcraft. Um, Nineveh was really a wicked city. And Nineveh was also one of the primary um, enemies of Israel. So God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and warn them of God's judgment and give them an opportunity to repent. That's what God wanted Jonah to do, to go to Nineveh to preach and to give them a chance to repent. But what does Jonah do? Let's read from verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So my first point today is running from God. Jonah was a man on the run. He didn't want to listen to God. He didn't want to share God's mercy and forgiveness and grace with Nineveh. But why? Why was Jonah so anti sharing God's forgiveness and grace with this wicked city? It's because Israel hated Assyria. They hated them for their wickedness and their brutal murders. And Jonah was actually afraid that if Nineveh repented, that they would experience God's mercy, grace, and forgiveness. And he didn't feel that they were worthy of God's forgiveness. I'm sure some of us, or at least most of us, can relate to that. There are people that we believe are not worthy of God's forgiveness. People who have hurt us, people that we see in the news who um, commit brutal atrocities against innocent people in war, in their own countries. Um, that was the position that Jonah found himself, not wanting a wicked city like Nineveh to experience God's forgiveness and mercy. And so what Jonah wanted is he actually wanted Nineveh to be cast away. He didn't want Nineveh to experience forgiveness. He wanted them to be cast away. And so he literally ran from God. Nineveh was east of, um, and Tarshish was in the completely opposite direction, west of where Jonah was. And so as we start to look at the story of Jonah, I believe that God is going to show us that we all have a little bit of Jonah in each and every one of us. If you want to run from God, there will always be a ship ready to take you to Tarshish. Our enemy wants to lay a trap for us and make it easy for us to run from God. The ship that our enemy makes ready for us is, is usually the one that we need to avoid the most. And so the second point today is that you can always find a ship sailing in the wrong direction. 
The enemy wants to lay a trap for you and make it easy for you to run away from God. His role is to give you a false peace in your heart about doing the wrong thing. And this peace that he gives you is as fickle as having this peace today and it being gone tomorrow. It's not a, a, a peace from God. It's not a lasting peace. It's a fickle peace, and it comes from the enemy. Have you ever been to the beach and spent time swimming in the ocean and you having an absolute whale, pun intended, time of your life, and you are body surfing and you're in the waves and a lot of time has passed, and suddenly, like, like maybe half an hour or an hour has passed, and suddenly you look back and you don't recognize the, anything on the shore at all, and you realize that what's happened is you've actually slowly but surely drifted um, along with the current, and you ended, you've ended up further along down the, the, um, the beach where you started out. We start drifting further and further away from God when we give in to little acts of disobedience. And before you realize it, you are being swept along until it takes you further than you ever intended to go. And what happens to you, what happens to me when I give in to little acts of disobedience, little bit by little bit, is that eventually I am, or, or we, are cast away from God. When we disobey the commands of God intentionally or even unintentionally, we start drifting. We are separating ourselves from him, and that's the Jonah in all of us. The word of the Lord will come to you. God will speak to you just like Jonah. It may not be what you want to hear, just like Jonah. And when you run, you can always find a ship going in the wrong direction, just like Jonah. Some of you are on the run right now. You found a ship sailing in the wrong direction, and you've disobeyed God by getting on board. Let's look at verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. So the third point today is that God may send a storm to grab your attention. Now, this was a ship full of sailors that were transporting cargo. So this would have been a really strong ship, a ship that would have been able to take heavy cargo, many sailors, and rough seas. So it would have been really strong, but the storm was so strong that the ship was being beaten from every side, like the waves were crashing into the side. It actually um, it must have felt like the integrity of the ship was about to break. This strong cargo ship um, was, was about to crash and, and break into pieces because this, sto this storm was so great. And the sailors and everybody were shouting, help, and what are we going to do? We've never seen a storm like this before. What is going on? Whose fault is this? And eventually they decide to draw um, sticks to see um, whose fault this is. They believed um, in that superstition that if they drew sticks, they would see. But God used that to point out that Jonah was at fault. And so they see that it's Jonah's fault and they call him up from the bottom of the boat where he had been sleeping through the storm 
and they question him. And they are like, who are you? Where are you from? What have you done to bring this on us? And verse 9 reveals the answer. Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Do you really, Jonah, at this point in your life, are you really worshiping the Lord God of heaven? He tells them that he's a Hebrew and that he worships God, and this terrifies them. And they ask, what in the world have you done? Because they know that he's running from God. And from verse 11, we read, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm, calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. So now Jonah acknowledges that God has spoken and that he's disobeyed God and that throwing him overboard is the only solution. He's now acknowledging this. He realizes that his disobedience is going to get them all killed and that throwing him overboard is what is going to save the sailors. So he was willing to give his life for the sailors, but he wasn't willing to do the same thing for Nineveh. Jonah's hatred for the Assyrians has, had affected his perspective. He chose who he thought was worthy of God's forgiveness and God's grace. And do we sometimes acknowledge to God and to others that we are Christians, that we worship the Lord, the God who created the heavens and the earth, but then we run in the opposite direction when he asks us to reach out to a certain group of people or to go somewhere or to do something. Do we allow our perspective towards certain people to cause us to disobey God? Do we allow our perspective to be skewed? What about how we live and the decisions that we make daily? Are we living in a way that's clear to the world that we worship God? Do we call ourselves Jesus followers but live like everyone else? Is there no distinction between us and the rest of the world? Do we call ourselves Jesus followers but only come to God when we need something from him or when we are sick? Do we call ourselves Jesus followers and call ourselves a Christian couple, but don't live like Jesus would want us to? Do we call ourselves Jesus followers, but wangle our way out of taxes because we don't want to give our money to a government we don't believe in? Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we are all like this or that we are intentionally living this way. Um, I do, however, believe that the answer to these issues is to make intentional decisions, to live in a way that God has called us to live. We need to be intentional. We can't just drift and hope that we'll make good decisions, that we'll make godly decisions, that we'll live in a way that Jesus would want us to live. We need to be intentional about the decisions that we make um, as to how we live our lives, how we are towards others, how we reach out to the world out there. We need to be obedient 
to what God's word says. But first, we need to love God. We won't have a desire to obey God if we don't love him first. You cannot seek God's love and run from him at the same time. Jonah soon realized that no matter where he went, he couldn't get away from God. But before Jonah could return to God, he first had to stop going in the wrong direction. He had to acknowledge that he was on the wrong ship, going in the wrong direction. And I want to ask you, I'm asking myself the same question, what has God told you to do? What has God told me to do? If you want more of God, more of his love, more of his power, you must be willing to carry out the responsibilities that he gives you. You cannot say that you truly believe in God if you don't do what he says. And to back that up, it tells us in 1 John 2, verse 3 to 6, it says, And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. And rebellion is simply saying no to God. You are never further away from God than when you are close to him and you say no. Let me repeat that. Rebellion is simply saying no to God. You are never further away from God than when you are close to him and say no. We read on in verse 13 and 14. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. So the sailors who hardly know Jonah realize that the storm is his fault. But they don't want to throw him overboard. They, they don't want to make a bad decision. They, they want to try and, and still save everyone's lives. So they're rowing and rowing and rowing like crazy to get to the shore. So these pagan, non-believing uh, sailors showed more compassion towards Jonah then Jonah, who's a prophet of God, was showing towards the people of Nineveh. And God wants us to be concerned about all of his people. So the sailors, they give up and they acknowledge that rowing like crazy isn't working. And so finally they're like, okay, you know what? We're all going to die. So I guess we are going to have to throw you off this ship, Jonah. And um, they are feeling so bad. They're like, God, forgive us. We're sorry. We don't want to do this to Jonah. Jonah, we're so sorry. And then this is what happens from verse 15. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So Jonah's thrown overboard, and the storm immediately stops immediately. What does this do? 
it causes the sailors to start worshipping God. They witnessed a miracle and they offered sacrifices and start, to God and started worshipping him. So, God, so Jonah stops running from God and he admits that he's wrong, that he made a mistake. And do you know that God can use our mistakes to help others come to know him? Admitting our sin can be a powerful example to those who don't know God. Maybe you've boarded a ship going in the wrong direction and you now need to get off that ship, acknowledge your mistakes or, or sin, and actually share that with someone in your life. Jonah is thrown overboard and he must have been expecting to die. There's no ways that he could have thought that he would survive that storm. Why would God save him? He had been disobedient to God. He'd gone in the opposite direction. Why would God give him a second chance? God could maybe now ask another prophet to go to Nineveh. But let's read in verse 17 what happens. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So check this out. This is what God does. God provides a huge fish. He provides a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and then it says to keep him in the belly for three days and three nights. So God provided the fish, God saved Jonah, and God gave Jonah a second chance. So ask yourself this question. What has God sent your way to stop you drifting off from him or to stop you taking the wrong ship and that's going in the wrong direction? Well, if we look at Jonah, right? God sent um, the fish for Jonah. What has God done for us? God sent his son to us. God saved Jonah. What has God done for us? Well, Jesus died to save us. And God gave Jonah a second chance. And when we acknowledge our mistakes, when we acknowledge our sin, Jesus gives us a second chance. When we ask for forgiveness, when we ask to try again, when we acknowledge that we've gone on the wrong ship, Jesus gives us a second chance. And so earlier on, I asked the question, what does it look like to be personally engaged in God's mission? Well, we need to be sincere believers and followers of Jesus and be obedient to his will so that we can impact our communities and our city. And the word of God will come to you and you have a choice. You can either obey or disobey. When God speaks to you, you can always find a ship sailing in the wrong direction. If you do not obey, he may send a storm to grab your attention. When he does, I want to encourage you that it's all because he loves you, because he has something for you to do, and he has a city or a group of people for you to reach and impact. You've got a choice. You can keep running from God and God's will for your life, or you can come back to him. You can repent. You can get off the wrong ship and go in the right direction that he's calling you. 
And so my prayer for you, for me today, is that you will come back to God. That you'll accept the second chance. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we can look at the life of Jonah and learn so much from him. That we can see that you are the God who loves us so much that you sent your son to die for us. That you give us second chances. That even though we make mistakes, even though we can be disobedient, you still want us to be on your mission. And you will help us to get off the wrong ship and to get into the direction that you are calling us to. And so right now, I just want to pray for every person who maybe is finding themselves on the wrong ship right now. Would you please help them, God, to make the bold move, to get off the direction that they're in. Maybe it's a relationship they shouldn't be in. Maybe um, it's a career path that they shouldn't be following. Maybe it's habits that they're forming that they know are unhealthy. God, whatever it might be, I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each and every person and reveal to them what direction they need to take to be in your will. And Father, I pray for those who are not in a relationship with you yet. I pray that today they would make the decision to accept you, Jesus, as their Savior, to acknowledge that you died for them, that you forgive them of their sins, and that you want a life-giving relationship with them. And so we ask God that we would take everything we've learned from the book of Jonah, chapter 1, and we would put that into our lives this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd just like to encourage you that if you made a decision today to start a relationship with Jesus, we would love to send you information that will help you on your journey, that will give you the next steps to take in your relationship with Jesus. All you need to do is click on starting out with Jesus in the chat window and we will send you information during the week to get you on the right path and into life group and into growth track and everything that you need to do to get plugged into the life of our church. Have a great week everyone and we will see you next week Sunday.